Well, welcome to the Get Complex, a space where, among other things, in a polarized world, we can have curious conversations with thoughtful people about issues that divide to say, hey, is there a way that we can just actually hear each other and go there in a way that can help all of us, whatever perspective we're coming from, take some steps forward and all kind of come together, not only appreciate each other more, but maybe even push the ball forward in creating good in our culture. And we are in this series on a very tricky issue, a very complex issue, and that is on abortion. And, uh, and our listeners are all over the map on that. And, and how can we navigate this in a culture like this in a, in a healthy way? And if we're doing this right, we're probably going to challenge some of you to think, wait a minute, <laughs> I didn't think that way, or I'm not sure it's okay to even think this way. And, and that's good. I, I think if we can be willing to not just listen to our echo chambers, but listen to people outside of our own perspective, we'll actually learn that maybe they're not as villainous or idiotic or whatever as we thought. And I, th I think we're going to see that certainly in this series. And so far, we've looked at it from a constitutional perspective. Uh, today, we're going much more personal with uh, Jennifer Shelton. We'll introduce you to in a minute, who, who really comes along this from, a, from the perspective of the women as well as men who are in the situation of an un unplanned pregnancy. And for them, this is not a theoretical issue. This is a, a life crisis. And, uh, and she's able to come around them in a very holistic way. And uh, Hillary and Greg, you had the opportunity yeah. to sit down with Jennifer, a person I have tremendous respect for. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really looking forward to uh, your conversation with her, but yeah, just it, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, it was a fascinating conversation. And when we, when we first, you know, thought about doing this series around abortion, going all the way back to when the leak came out, you know, and we we thought, man, there's so many different different angles and different things we have to consider, and wh who who would be good to to talk to, and what kind of perspectives do we want to get? And certainly, there's theological perspectives in the series. We're going to talk to talk about that and legal perspectives. But also at kind of the ethos here at, at the Good Complex is we want to find common ground around the common good. And it seems like it, it's kind of it seems harder and harder to find common ground, mm -hmm. you know. And when this issue, when the leak came out and then, and then the opinion came out and people just r retreated into their corners, but, but we, we really kind of talked, you know, how can what is something that every everybody could could agree on? And conceivably, um, we could all agree on caring for women and caring for vulnerable children and mm -hmm. caring for the poor, you know, like that kind of caring for people who feel like um, abortion is their only option. Like what would make them feel that way? And are there other things we can come around to support, you know, like that kind of stuff? And so why don't we talk to someone who might know a little bit about that, on what, you know, caring for women actually looks like? And we couldn't think of anyone better than, than Jennifer Shelton. I feel like Jennifer Shelton was the perfect person to yeah. talk to about this because she's, she's the executive director at a place called Real Options. Mm -hmm. And they have healthcare services for women, but they also have services for men. Mm -hmm. um, and she's just one of those people that you can tell really just cares about people, no matter what choice they've made, where they've right. been, where they're going. Mm -hmm. And she wants to figure out how to get everybody involved to sort of help fix the problem so that this isn't a problem anymore. Right. So I, I had a lot of fun talking mm -hmm. to her. She's a very positive, encouraging, uplifting person. And I feel like we need some of that mm -hmm. injected in these conversations because it's a heavy topic. And she just found some really good ways to, to show that there's hope and there's things mm -hmm. 
that everyday people can do to help make all of this a little bit better and a little bit easier on the people that are facing these problems. Yeah. So it was a long conversation. We're going to watch a portion of that. So let's uh, let's jump in and, and watch that, um, and then we can debrief because there's some there's some good things to talk about. All right. We've actually been at this for over 35 years, and um, basically we are here to help families who find themselves in an unexpected pregnancy. Um, so we we do free pregnancy tests, free ultrasounds, free counseling. Uh, we also help them through the process. So it's not just about them making a decision for life, but it's about them being able to thrive as a family. Because if we just get them to say, oh, yes, I'm going to keep this baby, that is really not success. Success is for them, hopefully the mother and the father, to both be a part of that, to help train them to be um, great parents. Um, and so that is one of the things that we are really passionate about is to be able to walk alongside these families uh, and for them to not only understand that their child is valuable, but they are valuable, um, not only to us, but to the Lord. And so that that's something that we always try to do when we have a, when we have a woman or a man come through our doors. So when you have someone show up at Real Options, what are some of the, the services that you provide to kind of help them navigate that time? Well, we do baby showers for those that need, um, you know, need essential items. In fact, that all started during COVID because, you know, you couldn't gather together so that our, a lot of our clients couldn't have baby showers. So they didn't have things. And so we decided, okay, what can we do about that? So we did drive through baby showers and we would, um, they would just drive through our parking lot and we would just load up everything that they possibly might need from cribs to car seats to strollers. And then at the end, offer to be able to pray with them. Um, so it wouldn't just be for their physical needs, but how can we help them spiritually and emotionally as well? And uh, so we do baby showers. We also offer um, ongoing professional counseling for free um, because oftentimes when women come to see us, it is not just the pregnancy that they're experiencing, but a lot of times it is underlying trauma. And we want to get to that, help them to have healing from the root of it so that they can be healthy for that child as that child grows up and hopefully not get into a situation like this again. Um, we also uh, do Bible studies for new believers so that they can grow in their faith and get connected with a local church body. Uh, we also offer mentors to our our uh, men and women to help them to just grow um, as parents and sometimes just grow emotionally. Sometimes they've never had a mother or father to be able to model that from, and we want to be able to do that as well. So those are just a few. We actually partner with 152 agencies in our community uh, that we can offer anything from legal help to car seats to um, parenting classes, just a litany of things because we can't do it all, but we can partner with our community to make sure that we do a holistic job of caring for these women. I love it. And I, I know you already do so much, but now that Roe v. Wade has been overturned and it's changed a lot in, in many different states, Texas being one of them, I, I saw a, a clip of you talking about how you're expecting maybe up to a 40% increase in people coming through your doors or maybe needing your services. So will you have to make any changes at Real Options in response to the change in the law, knowing that there might be this great influx of people? Well, we've already started kind of gearing up for that. Um, we've hired some additional staff, especially um, sonographers, so that we can offer 
um, ultrasounds. That is a, a huge part of a lot of the women who are coming in in their decision process. We've also opened an additional day. Um, we have started sending our mobile unit out to more communities so that we can actually go to our community and not have them just come to us. Um, and we also are getting ready to open two satellite locations. And um, what was what's wonderful about that is how God really started preparing this before we even knew Roe v. Wade was even on the horizon. So even before the leak, all of these things started to fall into place. And now we know why is because now because unexpected pregnancies will not go away. So we are still going to be needed, but now they are going to be, they're going to be bombarded with so many different things and they're going to need a safe place to go and to be able to process. And they are usually shocked and in chaos. And so we want to be that safe place for them to be able to do that. We're here no. in, oh, go ahead, Greg. No, you, no, please call I was just going to say, you know, we're located in Texas. So for the people who live here in our state or maybe have friends or family that live in Texas, can you tell us when the law will go into effect here and, and kind of what that will change when it does go into effect? Well, there's a little bit of a gray area, so I'll kind of explain. Um, so once Roe v. Wade was overturned, um, well, the opinion was released. So the actual ruling has not come out yet. Um, and the trigger law in Texas is that once the ruling is official, then it's 30 days from the ruling. So actually the ruling has not become official, even though the opinion stands. And so it's not like there is any um, ambiguity of what's going to happen with it, but that's when the trigger law actually the 30 days starts. However, um, we had an older law on the books from, I think the 20s, 1920s, 1940s. Um, and it was, it was an abortion ban back then. So basically what has happened is in this interim period, that law goes into effect. And so the heartbeat bill is still in effect as far as um, civil litigation. And then the, um, the previous host or pre-row is uh, law is in effect right now. So they had a judgment that came down that lifted that. So then we were back to heartbeat. Um, but then just this past week, three days ago, I think um, that was, uh, that was overturned. And so now we're back to that pre-row law. So right now, uh, as of this second, abortion is illegal in Texas. So how will, um, and from, from your perspective, how will abortion clinics respond in Texas moving forward? Will they just close their doors or? Some are closing their doors. Um, others, um, this is kind of my prediction, so I don't know for sure, but I really believe some of them are going to become travel agents for abortion clinics in other states. To get um, to New Mexico or Colorado or something like that, right. Um, and there's so much money being poured in that they are offering free travel, free um, childcare, free um, hotel stays for these women to go to these other states and have abortions. And so basically they're just, they do all the travel arrangements on this side of the state. And then, um, and then they send them a lot of times to, you know, partnering or sister clinics in other states that allow abortions. Um, and in, so the closest ones to us would be New Mexico and Colorado. Colorado uh, allows abortion up to birth, 
Uh, right now, New Mexico, I believe, is up to 32 weeks. So, um, I mean, this this isn't this isn't over. There there are still women who are getting abortions who are um, really being, especially right now, because everything is so hyped up um, and there's so much emotion. Is that a lot of women are even feeling pressured to say, "Oh, well, I've I need to go to these other states because all this money is being offered to me to do so." So there's a, there's a lot of um, there's a lot of pressure in that in that arena too. So just because it's outlawed in Texas doesn't mean Texas women aren't getting abortions. Right. You know, I've heard some um, say that because we are such a diverse nation, that maybe this ruling and putting it back to the states, it will probably end up with a fair with a with with kind of a patchwork of like state to state, it's gonna vary and maybe that's appropriate for, for a country like Texas, for not country, uh, for a country like the United States. Um, and if, and maybe that's the future, you know, to where each state is a little bit different. Um, it's certainly the near term, near term future. But regardless, I would love to hear your perspective since you've been in those conversations with, with families, with women that have been, or that are, that are in this, in the season that feel like they don't have the options. And even in your names, like, no, there are options and you're trying to give options. Um, I think that like, regardless of, of what each state does, like it, it, it'd be interesting for you to speak to us who like, I think for, for people like such as myself, this ruling is not the end of something as, as much as it is the beginning of like, okay, it's, it's time for us to demonstrate what care looks like and to, and to care for and care for women and families and children in a way that we haven't in the past or in a way that will do it much better. Um, and I think that a lot of us aren't quite sure what that means or what it looks like, you know, it, certainly maybe it's, coming around organizations like yours and helping out, but it might also be a neighbor or someone in our apartment complex or something like that. Um, what does it mean for those who would, would, would identify as pro-life? What does it mean to be pro-life now? Yeah. Um, and that's a good question because um, when I talk about pro-life to people, everyone has a different definition of it. <laughs> um, but one of the things that I, I want to point out is that I've done this for 19 years. I've been at Real Options. I have seen so many different um, trends and different things that have come, come and gone. Um, but one thing that has always stayed the same is I have never had a woman walk through our doors and say, I want an abortion. I have only heard a woman say, I need an abortion because of X, Y, or Z, or I have no other choice than abortion. And so what our job is, is to remove those obstacles. How can we fill in those gaps so that that need for abortion or that, that feeling like there's no other choice, if we can eliminate those, almost all the women I've ever spoken to will say, well, yes, I, I would choose life, whether that's through parenting or through adoption. Um, and so I think that that's the key. And, you know, people have talked to me about, you know, how do you feel about this legislation? And I am grateful for any time we are able to protect the most vulnerable in our society. So I, I'm grateful for the legislation, but the legislation is not the answer, whether it's this or even legislation to come. The, the answer is that we need to make abortion unthinkable, where we serve women so well and we serve families so well that abortion is not something that they feel like they need any longer. 
And that's going to take the whole community. It's not just going to be pregnancy centers. And, um, and we aren't the answer. We are a part of the equation, but we are not the answer. We have to link arms with the family of God, not just one church, but the family of God with all denominations coming together, putting aside, you know, differences of those little things and saying, you know what, life matters because life matters to God. He is the creator of that life. And we need to serve these women well. And it's not just about the life of the baby, but it's about the lives that it touches. It's the mother, the father, the grandparents. I can't tell you how many grandparents have walked through our doors after we have been able to remove some of these obstacles and um, a couple is able to choose life. And the grandparents come in holding this little baby beaming and hugging us and saying, thank you. Thank you for helping our family be complete. And so this is something that we have to do together. That means helping with childcare, helping with um, uh, subsidized housing for some of these women, um, job training, um, uh, discipleship, um, um, professional counseling, emotional uh, support, small groups so that they don't feel alone they don't feel like they're walking into a huge church, but they feel like they're walking into a family that's going to be, that's going to support them. Um, and those all, there's a, so many little components, but if we all come together and serve together, we're going to be able to really make a difference that even legislation can't do. Well, I feel like, you know, you brought up people feeling so passionately about this issue. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are, celebrating it. There are a lot of people who are extremely upset about it, but I would love your perspective on what's the best way to discuss it. So if we're talking about the ruling with friends or coworkers or, or just, you know, whomever, strangers, what's sort of the best tone or best approach so that we can have a productive discussion, but not offend and hurt feelings and push people further away? Yes. Um, well, unfortunately, that's what we've seen so much of is that people start, um, you know, they either are super passionate or they are just really uh, flatlined. They have no opinion. And I don't think either side, is, either one of those extremes is, is valuable. What I think we really need to do is we need to speak with passion and compassion. If we can do both of those, then we will actually be able to have a fruitful conversation. Uh, one of the other things is, is that this has, once this happened and so many people are talking about it, social media in different places, I have to, I, I really want to point out that there are a lot of women and men who are hurting because they've experienced abortion and all of this conversation, whether it's good, bad, or whatever, it brings up a lot of hurtful memories. Sometimes um, things that they have not spoken about, they have suppressed and, um, this doesn't just happen on the outside of our church walls. One in four women have had an abortion by the time they're 45. And that's inside and outside our churches. Um, I, I believe it's 72% of people who've had an abortion claim to be a Christian. And so this happens so often with so many different people, but we're not talking about it. And we're not loving on those people who have experienced this. And so my rule of thumb that I have always used that I think is helpful is anytime I'm talking about this subject and I am super passionate about it, I I mean, I've done it this for so long, but my rule of thumb is anytime I'm speaking to someone, I assume that they've had, they've experienced abortion. 
because that will flavor my words with kindness and grace. Um, and it doesn't mean that I back off from the issue because if we don't speak, not speaking at all is, is saying something. It's saying that this, this topic, life, is not something that is worth discussing, and it is. It is worth discussing, but we have to do it in a way that is kind and compassionate and caring. Um, you don't need to raise your voice. You don't need to fight. Um, my my thing is social media is never a great place to have a conversation. Um, <laughs> face-to-face is always better because you get to, you, you then that person becomes the person and not just a screen. Um, that, that usually is not a good place to have a conversation like that. Um, so those are my little tips that I try myself to do when I'm talking about this. Um, and then to try to find some common ground, you know, um, and even I have spoken to some people that we couldn't be farther apart on this issue. But one of the things that we can come together on is that we do believe that women deserve good care. We believe they deserve holistic care, which is not just about their physical health, but it's their emotional and spiritual health. And we can come together on those things. So let's start there and then work our way out. And if we can just move someone's opinion just a little bit towards what is compassionate and hopefully um, defending those that need us the most, if we can just help them to see just a little bit of that, then we, we've we we've won. We've won a little bit just by us coming together because the thing is, we're all children of God. We were all created in his image. And so we all need to be respectful and kind to one another, regardless of our stances. And in those conversations, if they move us a little bit into a more nuanced you know, more understanding. That's a win too. You know, it's, it's like, I learned something new today. I saw things from a slightly different perspective. And so that's so good. I think, you know, I'm a minister and so I'm kind of in church leadership world and I've seen an awful lot of churches just assume that everyone in their pews, everyone in their congregation are sort of in line and thinking the same thing. And so thank you for that reminder that, you know, 25% like that, that's a, that's a, that's an important percentage for us to keep in mind and that reminder that whoever we're talking to, there's, there's way more, there's probably way more to their story than we know. And so um, compassion is always needed. Well, and I love you mentioned social media and, you know, people hashing things out on social media in regards to this. And one thing that I kept seeing over and over on my feed on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and everywhere, there were so many different facts And it was hard to discern what's true, what's not true. And a lot of people aren't taking the time to go do research and figure out what's going on with the new law. So were there any misconceptions regarding the new law that you saw that you can dispel for us? Because I know I came across a few where I was like, something about this doesn't sound right. Yes, um, there were a lot. Um, But just some of the ones that I heard most often is that um, is that if a woman has a miscarriage that she could be prosecuted? That is not true. Um, a miscarriage, right? So if a woman has to have a DNC after a miscarriage, this law does not apply to that because that is not this. This law applies to elective abortions. Elective abortion is different than a spontaneous abortion. Spontaneous abortion means that your body does that, and that's a miscarriage where it. 
the heartbeat stops, the, the, the baby stops growing. Uh, so that is not an abortion as we know it. Um, and so it, that doesn't apply. Um, people have talked about IVF, that if you are having IVF procedures that you can be prosecuted, that is not true. Um, they have said that if you have an ectopic pregnancy and have to have the ectopic pregnancy removed, that you can be prosecuted, that is not true. Um, some people have said that this outlaws birth control, that is not true. Um, I also, uh, uh, with a lot of these things, people have said, you know, women can be prosecuted. Actually, no woman can be prosecuted even if they have an abortion, it doesn't, a woman cannot be prosecuted for obtaining an abortion, whether it's legal or not. Now the abortionist or those who are performing the abortion, then there's some legal ramifications for them, but not for the woman. Um, and so the woman is not going to be prosecuted. Um, you, it doesn't, it's not retroactive. So it's not going to, um, someone can't come after you for having an abortion six months ago or 10 years ago. Um, those are some of the ones that I have heard most, uh, that just aren't, just aren't true. I did Thanks see some that. of those. Yeah. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about too, you know, we, we hear a lot of this discussion centered on women, but we know men are also just as affected by this issue. So what are some of the best ways that we can maybe support some of the men that we know that have either had abortion in their history, or maybe they're facing that sort of decision currently? Well, one of the, the things that I, I hate about the topic that is that men have said that they are supposed to be silent on this issue, that they do not have a voice, um, not only prior to the decision, but also after. So they're not allowed to be a part of the decision and they're not a part allowed to grieve afterwards. But that's just not true. Those, these men, I can't tell you how many men have come in with a girlfriend or a wife and they desperately want this child, but the woman has an abortion and he is devastated because he didn't have any, I mean, there was nothing that he could do to um, change her mind or to have any recourse. And so um, one thing is giving voices back to men, that this is something that they do get to have a voice in. Um, and it doesn't mean that they are, you know, telling women exactly what they need to do with their bodies, but they do have a voice of, of what life is and, and protection. That's that's who God created men to be, is to, this protector of families. And so we need to give that voice back to men. And then the second thing, we are actually starting an abortion recovery group just for men. Um, so for men to be able to sit and talk through that, some men feel guilt over pressuring a woman to have an abortion. Some men have guilt because they paid for the abortion. Um, some men have guilt because they never spoke up. And um, so I think that having an opportunity for a safe place for men to actually converse um, about this topic where they have so long been told that they don't have a voice, it's going to be a process to be able to kind of bring them back into this conversation. But I think it's so very important and so very needed. They are just as much a part of this equation as the woman is. Such an amazing conversation. I, I, I loved what she said about having both passion for people mm -hmm. uh, and compassion as well. That came but, through. Yeah, yeah wherever we're both. coming from, right? right? And so you guys had the opportunity. I, I, I was out of town and didn't get yeah. to, I feel jealous that you were able to interact with her. Yeah. But what, what stood out to you from, from what we just heard? And, and you guys got even a little bit more perspective interacting with her. Right. Well, yeah, I had a, I took a lot of notes. I think it's some of the ones just sort of initially, um, 
I loved how she she talked about how like she'd been doing this for 19 years and never never talked to a, a woman, uh, a pregnant woman who's, who's, who came in and say, I want an abortion. And that's pretty telling, mm-hmm. you know, that that mm-hmm. that women feel like they don't really have options or they feel that they're at the end of the rope or, or whatever. And so for her to come at this, like, okay, let's 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 talk about that. Like, what are the circumstances there and whatever? Um, yeah, that, that's that was pretty huge. I think, too, something that stood out to me is they have services kind of for every stage that you're at. So even if a woman decides to not choose life and goes a different way, they have all these support services after that for for both women and men Mm -hmm. that they can take advantage Mm -hmm. of. So that way you really are still giving them options, plural. You know, Mm -hmm. if they decide, you know, they still feel like they can't choose life, they've got a support system to come back to to work through all of that trauma as well. So I, I like that they are really trying to take care of women from and men from a to z wherever you are you know they've got something that can help which i think is really really special also i loved your question when you asked like in in our culture right now we're so polarized like how do we even have that conversation how Mm -hmm. how, how do we do it and i thought she had a really good answer for that because it's not just about winning an argument you know obviously she has passion Mm -hmm. but that um the kind of the one in four women by the time they're 45 have had an abortion and, and keeping that Kind of, kind of having that rule of thumb that whoever she's talking to, like they, they probably have a history with, with this, um, which will then flavor her words with grace. And it's like, what, I mean, how different would it be if everyone, if we just had that type of awareness and mm-hmm. on this issue and a lot of other issues that, that the people that we, that we talk to um, have, have much more complicated lives and have gone through a lot of like uh, decisions that they've made or whatever were made for reasons and, you know, like that kind of stuff um, instead of just sort of, fighting all the time you know it was really good I think that she's um she's so hopeful about everything which I loved mm-hmm. and I I like that she said let's make this unthinkable like let's care for women and men who find themselves in these situations so well that they don't have to make this choice you know mm-hmm. they can have these other options on what to do with life but that they don't have to make this choice and yeah. I think that's a really great and goal. I'm, I'm also really amazed by the the breadth of care that oh, they yeah. give. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they've been doing it a long time. And there's a lot of these organizations, you know, and they're doing all this, you know, incredible work, not only concerned about life in the womb, but life after the womb or the life of the mm-hmm. mother, the life of the father. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and a way on into their life, uh-huh. you know, being a support group uh, is pretty amazing because often the charges that, you know, pro-life people just right. care about the baby in the womb mm-hmm. and not, you know, and right. and they're, that's not them. Right. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that struck me too, because clearly she's a, she's a woman of faith. You can tell by the ways that she talks and, and that her Christian faith is fueling, is the reason behind what she's doing. And that's, that like, just as you said, there is a sort of reputation, particularly among sort of evangelical pro-life folks that that they're real passionate or the, and you know, that we are real passionate about um, the unborn and fairly indifferent about other people groups like the born, mm-hmm. <laughs> born babies and the mother, you know, and that type of stuff. And I think that some of that reputation um, is like, we have to own that a little bit. And we like, as far as fixing that reputation and, and doing better about our, the, the perceptions, I mean, we can't just blame the media for everything, mm-hmm. you know, right. bad coverage. I mean, we, we have to own some of that. However, 
the blanket statement that evangelical Christians just don't care about babies or you know mothers or the poor or the most vulnerable in our society just clearly is not true to make the, a blanket statement like that right. because you know real options is just one of quite a few pregnancy centers that we could have talked to mm-hmm. and all of those um, health service centers and pregnancy centers you know, have these other partnerships. You mentioned 152 other community partners, you know, to do sort of wraparound services. And all of those nonprofits, um, like, I can't say all. I would say a majority of those are faith-driven. And the lifeblood of those is people volunteering, volunteer hours and donations. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of churches out there. But I can say, like, every church that I know is supporting organizations or doing work themselves that, mm-hmm. to care for to care for single moms and to care for vulnerable children and to care for come around issues of food insecurity like that kind of stuff right. um, at least all, that's all the churches that I know are doing mm-hmm. that and um, so while there is kind of a reputation problem for sure um, we, we also have to it, it just to it, just to be intellectually honest have to acknowledge that there is an army of churches and Christians and nonprofit organizations that are not filling, that are not living according to that bad reputation, you know, that they really are putting their hours and their money where their faith is um, and really do care about a whole broad perspective of life. You know? I think she brought up such a, an interesting point, too, about there's lots of different ways to get involved because... Uh-huh. Touching on what you said, you know, they offer job training and helping people with subsidized right. housing and those kinds of things. So even if maybe you don't feel comfortable mentoring someone or maybe working with a, a pregnant mom or whatever it is, yeah. you could still offer job skills training or, mm-hmm. you know, help out in those ways. And mm-hmm. I, I liked, I hadn't really thought about that being a way to kind of give back or help, help eliminate the problem by, you know being able to serve in that yeah. capacity and it's, anybody can do that. You don't have to belong to a church or, you know, you can go to any of those centers and say, Hey, I, I can teach these skills. If mm-hmm. anyone would like to offer a course on it, I'm happy to help put it together, yeah. put it on or whatever. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. And as we were saying, when, when we started this episode, this hopefully is an area where all the pe- people who want to do good, we can agree on this. Right. And even if it's not just coming around the needs of pregnant women who are in crisis, like when, when you're helping um, folks who are vulnerable or in uh, like w- with job security or with uh, with food insecurity, like all this kind of stuff. I mean, it is it is we're, we're coming together. We're coming together around things that we can agree with that really do make. Um, and as we talked about agreement better. and, you know, we I, I know people listening right now are coming from both yeah. sides of this issue. We right. can both we can all care about the women and the babies, yeah. you know, like Jennifer talked about, uh, whether it comes to pro-choice or or pro-life. Um, just so you know, we're going to, in, in this series of conversations, uh-huh. we'll hear from different perspectives. Right. And, right. and that might be a little, like we said earlier, a little bit disturbing, yeah, and, a little and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're, we'll hear from a pro-life, uh, actually, pastor mm-hmm. who, you know, who has a point of view, and a, and a pro-choice yeah, pastor right. who has a point of view to just say, wow, okay, let's let's listen to that, figure out um, even as we not only understand each other better, but also say, hey, how can we find common ground of right. of caring for everybody? I mean, hopefully we all mm-hmm. care for life. Yeah. 
So, that's yeah. what I've loved about this is we yeah. get all the different perspectives and then we can kind of figure out like where do we meet in the middle yeah, so that's, that's what great. we're trying to do and we're so happy that you've joined us on the journey we would love for you to like subscribe leave us comments let us know what you'd like to see uh, and join us again for the next episode so thanks for watching The Good Complex and until next time get out there and make it good <laughs>